You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's a beautiful day in January uh, here in Atlanta, and it's great to be here today on America's Web Radio. Um, David and I were just chatting about the uh, the amazing endorsement by Sarah Palin of Donald Trump this last week. At, uh, I saw I saw the version on Saturday Night Live. That's that was pretty much the version, right? <laughs> she's two books. She's two Corinthians short of a Bible. Nuts, people. I hope you like them. But that was actually very entertaining. Uh, I didn't know his followers were called trumpeters. That did you? I had, that was just like completely. Wow. She he went after Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz was endorsed by that crazy guy Glenn Beck. This is what I listened to this morning. I thought. You you were there when Sarah Palin endorsed you, right? Uh, I I would certainly not be the man casting stones here. <laughs> I would certainly not be the man casting stones. Uh, David, part of the big news that happened this last week that I, on immigration I want to focus on is that the Center for Migration Studies, which is you know pretty much a, it really is nonpartisan. I just literally look at numbers and look at the census. Uh, uh, they uh, published a study that says the the undocumented immigrant population in the U.S. has gone down. Uh, to its lowest level in a decade. Um, and that in uh, 2014, the total undocumented population declined uh, by more than a million since 2008. Uh, so, I mean, this how, is a... How, how do they document that? Uh, well, actually, that comes from the American Census, the Census Bureau's American Community Survey. And I've got to tell you, from my experience, I think that's probably right. There's, it's clear that there's not a growing undocumented immigrant population, at least those that you see. They heard that we had Obama here, and they decided not to well, come well, anymore. Well, think about it. I mean, if, if Obama really has deported 2.5 million people in the last se- six or seven years, I mean, clearly they've gone, I mean, numbers, I mean, did we really get 2.5 million undocumented immigrants? And that's just those that he physically deported. I mean, we know that right after the crash in '09 that there was a, a million people left. We knew that. So, I mean, there was, you count that's three and a half million people. I mean, even if, as we talk about in a bit, you know, half a million people stay every year, it's at least stayed constant, but likely gone down, given the fact that you have to give, there's a little give and take with these numbers. Uh, So, here's what's interesting, though. The undocumented population of majority of the U.S. states declined after 08, but 11 states reached their maximum population in 2014, including Texas. So, and you look at those maximum populations, you look at those that are typically growth states, states where there's jobs that attract uh, immigrants that have a very little skill set. Uh, and so, it's interesting, other interesting. With the exception of Alabama and Georgia, restrictive state immigration laws had little impact on undocumented population trends. We're in Georgia, and I will tell you, there are, there are likely, given... Given what I see in my practice and in my church activities, I would say there are probably fewer undocumented people in Georgia uh, and uh, that there were a few years ago. Uh, so there has been some effect from the anti even though the immigrants themselves are really not in any way effective because they don't they don't do anything. There's no money for them. There isn't a rule where you where you where you look you know the cops can ask your identity. Nobody does that. So. I mean, it's the fear of what could be rather than the actual implication of the law. But even more powerful is the Mexican-born population in the U.S. is 600,000 people smaller in 2014 
than it was in 2010. And we also know from those that are coming across the border that the numbers for Mexicans are awash. I mean, there are far more Mexicans leaving or being deported than coming in because things in Mexico have changed. I mean, you, of course, we hear about the dangers of Mexico and, you know, the gangs and stuff and the, and the, and the cartels. But the reality is, uh, for anybody who's been to Mexico in the last few years, uh, you would see a country that's definitely progressing forward. And while they have their problems like El Chapo and you can make fun of their people, of their leadership, the reality is the, their economy is much better at, at jo- growing jobs. But even more importantly, their population is no longer growing. And that's the other thing we, we, we tend to forget about. The drivers of immigration tend to be both poverty and population growth. And the Mexican uh, population growth has basically stopped because the births per, wo- per, uh, per woman are down below the 2.1 replacement level, just as they are in the United States. So without immigration to America, I mean, our population basically wouldn't have grown over the last 20 years. Cause our I, I have to ask, how does the Catholic Church fit into that? Because uh, well, we don't have, well, it doesn't matter. It, doesn't, it, no, it no longer matters really what religion you are. That is Because you look at Italy, which is all Catholic, and their births per women are like 1.1 or point, oh, It's so low that, that, that Italy, like Japan, is literally shrinking in size without immigration there. Uh, and so Mexico has dropped below replacement level uh, births. So the push, because it used to be, if you go back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, even the 80s and 90s, women were having, you know, I have clients that have 15 brothers and sisters and 12 brothers and sisters. That literally doesn't happen anymore. I mean, there are, there are of course, the outliers. You've got the Duggars, I'm sure, all over Mexico, too. But the reality is women just don't have as many children. And many women don't have any children at all. Uh, and so the the whole idea of, okay, well, America has this big ongoing forever problem on illegal immigration, but at least for Mexico, that has essentially stopped. And and you see that in the, quote, surges that we've had over the last uh, a couple of summers and even over the last year. Those surges aren't Mexican immigration. Yes, there, are, of course, are people coming from Mexico. Let's not kid ourselves. Mostly for reunification purposes, or they really are fleeing, like we've done uh, several different police officer asylum cases from Mexico. They're fleeing things that can't be fixed in Mexico. But the whole crush of I'm going to come here and I'm going to get a job in the fields or I'm going to get a job in the factories or I'm going to get a job uh, in the carpet mills, that's, that, that push is pretty much gone. Um, and uh, as a result, I think you will see a shrinking of the undocumented population. And the other reason why the population has shrunk is there aren't there are ways to get green cards, and so if you look today, um, basically Obama opened up a path in, about three years ago when he allowed individuals who were married to U.S. citizens who had come illegally to the U.S. to apply for a waiver or forgiveness in the U.S. instead of at the consulate. So when they leave, they don't have to wait a year in Mexico; they can just go out for a week and come back. There are literally probably several hundred thousand people in the last three years that have taken advantage of that benefit. and Because we know there's several million, or at least a couple million people that are undocumented that are married to U.S. citizens. So they have literally solved the problem. And so I think, you know, short enough, you hear about, of course, well, enforcement by attrition. If we just enforce the law enough, it will grow. Uh, well, enforcement's irrelevant in this, in this context because you just don't have the push. And even the surges that we've seen over the last couple of summers... Those numbers aren't big. They're not 
millions of people coming across the border. You're talking about 60,000. Well, 60,000 is not really a big number. Now, it's a big number because it's all focused in one in, in a couple of different corridors. It's all from one, three different little countries. So it's big in that context. But in the overall grand scheme of our history of undocumented immigration, it's a minuscule number. Uh, now, David, what was interesting about this, of today, for example, in California, there are 250,000 fewer undocumented immigrants from Mexico living in California in 2014 compared to 2010, just in that five-year period. I mean, that's a, that's a, a quarter of a congressional seat, basically. Um, and interestingly, from 1980 until 2014, the legally resident population from Mexico, okay, those who have green cards or citizens, grew faster in that 25-year period than the Mexican undocumented population. Uh, so, yeah, th- this whole idea of this influx that's going to be never-ending, never th- what this study says, wait, wait, you know, that's probably not true. So now, you know, with evidence like this, and of course this is a trend, what, what will it be in five years? I mean, let's, let's say a Republican gets in office and he's going to deport as many people as he can. He's still limited by what Congress budgets, which is about 400,000 people. You can, you, can, you can do X and that's all you can do with X. Let's say Congress doesn't allocate any more money. Th- th- is there a balance between what comes in and what goes out? Maybe. But I don't see this population growing really anytime soon. It is hard to get to the United States. It is much more difficult to get to the United States um, over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and especially during the Obama administration when so much more money has been poured into enforcement, regardless of what you hear people like Donald Trump say. Uh, but even if you get somebody like Hillary in who's going to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to figure out a way to get legal status, we're going to pass immigration reform, um, I don't think we will have the same problem that occurred when we started this in 96. So we had in 1986, Ronald Reagan is campaigning on immigration reform. He's campaigning on amnesty on 84 and how we're going to fix 86. Congress finally gets their act together. Reagan signs the amnesty. At the time, there's only about three to three and a half million undocumented people in America. And that was, as you recall, because you probably knew people at the time that did this, you literally paid $85 and you got a green card. I mean, it was truly an amnesty. It was really nothing other than an amnesty. There's no buy-in, no nothing. But what the problem was with that, and we've talked on other shows about this, is those men, and they were mostly men, only got green cards. Their spouses, for the most part, weren't here, or they didn't get green cards with them. So then, the, then these newly green-carded people had to apply for their spouse, which is why today... There are still Mexican women and children waiting in lines dating back to 1993 because that overwhelmed the system. Because what happened as a result, okay, these men, they weren't going to live here without their spouses and kids. It was easy to bring them in. Dad's got a green card. Bring the kids in. Bring the mom in. But today, the idea, well, if we legalize people, that will happen again. It's just not true because now they're all here. I think a big chunk of the undocumented immigrant population are not the same as it was before. There's a lot more women. I think you're approaching at least 50%. And there's a lot of kids uh, that probably account for 20 to 30%. So the numbers and the, and, the, and the process is going to be much different today than it would have been in 86. But here's the big catch. In 86, these men got green cards. 
They weren't going to keep working on your farm in, 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 in the West Texas heat. They weren't going to keep picking oranges in, in the orange groves of Arizona and in California. They were going to get better jobs in factories and towns and buy houses and move out of where they were. And there was still the need for that labor. Well, the labor was available, and it came from Mexico. So that, that flow just kept coming from Mexico, and they said, oh, my gosh, we got to keep coming. And then in 96, we passed a law that says, hey, if you leave once you get here, uh, you know, you can't come back for the rest of your lives. So they stayed, and they brought their families, and we went from basically what was an undocumented immigrant population of probably less than a million in 1990 after the amnesty to more than 11 million 12 years later because we didn't figure out what would happen as a result of these laws and the demographics. But now the demographics are dramatically different, dramatically different in Mexico, which is going to change how we have to structure our laws going forward. I, I think this, is gonna, this study lends for a very interesting debate uh, uh, as you figure out where immigration should go depending on, uh, on what the heck uh, happens with our elections. Dave, we probably should take our first break here, don't you think? And are we early enough or too late for our break? Uh, great, we'll take our first break here. Come back in just a minute on America's Web Radio. I was looking at your clock over there. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, we were going over this study uh, that came out from the uh, Center for Migration Studies. So it's just, They just study migration issues is what they do. They're experts in this. And it's very interesting to see which countries um, are seeing an increase of undocumented as well as those seeing a decrease. Uh, so uh, in one of the tables here, Table 5, they say 16 countries have lost undocumented population. What they're talking about is 16 co- people from origin of 16 different countries have fewer people in America than they had before. Uh, there's, of course, Mexico, which has saw a 9% uh, decrease. Uh, you also saw Brazil lost is 47,000 fewer people. Uh, Ecuador is 41,000. Colombia is 38,000 less. Korea is 37,000 less. Peru, 24,000. 
but the population from four countries grew by 20,000 or more. And this is interesting. Honduras, the violence. Guatemala, the violence. India and China. Now that's interesting. Why has and how has the undocumented population from India and China grown? I mean, it's hard to be undocumented and get here from India and China, particularly in the last four years. This is very interesting. But at the same time, David, I can tell you I've seen this in my practice. I've seen this in my practice. And I see more undocumented people from India and China than I've ever seen in the 25 years I've practiced immigration law. Uh, the Guatemala, Honduras, I mean, we see a lot that have come in. A big chunk of those are really from the last couple of years. But it's interesting because why did Brazil go down? Why did Ecuador down? Colombia, Korea, Peru. One, people from those countries may have gotten green cards. Okay, That's one thing. Two, each of those countries is doing well economically. And so if you're, if you're living in the shadows here in the United States and you are making minimum wage at best and you're living, you know, afraid the police are going to stop your driver's license and your brother calls you and said, you know, I got a job here in Peru. It doesn't pay what you pay in the States, but man, you'll be a family. You could, you'll be safe. You have, you have a house you can live in. You, it's a livable wage. They just go back. And so we've definitely seen that. Um, now, there are many people in America, like Donald Trump, who would probably love to have an America without immigrants. Uh, America without immigrants is a dead country. I mean, it's a dying country. We know that. So we know immigration is vital to our national interest. But we don't. Nobody, nobody wants illegal immigration. So I, I find this absolutely fascinating that those countries we're getting people from, we look at India and China, figure out what's going on there. India is, while a growing country, still a massively poor country. They have a billion people living in poverty. Same with China. Um, China, there's a lot of illegal immigration from China that comes in through the southern border. Uh, the snakehead. You know what a snakehead is. It's the kind of the Chinese smuggler people. Mm. Um, they regularly dock or post off the coast of Mexico and send people through Mexico to the United States. India, a lot of times, comes through Canada. Uh, they go to Canada on visas. It's, easier to, for, it's relatively easier for an Indian to get a visa to Canada, or it was in the past. They show up at the border. They're in a bus. They sneak across the border. You know, it's kind of hard. I mean, there's Canadian border is kind of an interesting border, but we'll talk about it in one of the shows. We're going to get an expert here to talk about the Canadian border. But um, a lot of the Indians come through the Canadian border, not the, not, not the Mexican border. A lot of the Chinese come through the Mexican border or just come directly. I mean, boats dock off the coast of the east coast of the west coast for Canada, and they just, you know, boat it in at night, and off they disappear into San Francisco or New York or L.A. or San Diego. But... What's really interesting about this is the other study uh, that came out this week uh, that looked at the number of undocumented people, uh, the number of people who came legally to the U.S. that did not go home. Uh, and there was a congressional hearing this last week uh, about this. And what was interesting about this uh, is that uh, so immigration goes to the Hill, Customs and Border Protection goes to the Hill, say, look, uh, 98.8% of the visitors to America went home. Yeah, that sounds great, right? That what, 99, Almost 99% went home? That's awesome. I mean, you'd be pretty pleased with 99% almost anywhere else. But the problem was is that meant about 500,000 people overstayed their visas. And we have no record of their departure. Now, here's the problem. So Grassley's like, I mean, the guys in Congress are like, oh, my God, you let a half a million people stay in the night? What are you doing about that? And their response is, nothing. Well, what do you want us to do? I mean, you don't give us money to do anything. 
we, we, we don't track them. We don't pop an RFID chip in somebody's neck when they come in the country. Uh, we know where they said they were going to be when they got the visa, but we don't know where they are today. I mean, we, we admit them for six months we have, or three months. We have no idea where they are today. Uh, we, you know, we don't have the capability, the manpower to go look for just visa overstays. You want us to focus on criminals and bad guys and deportees and, you know, and plus, even if we arrested them, we'd have to put them into deportation proceedings where the waiting period for some hearings is five years. So really, what do you want us to do? And Grassley went out apoplectic. He's like about to pop a blood vessel about this. Um, but here's the down, the, the upside to that number. They don't even know if that number is correct. I will tell you from my own personal experience, David, a couple of years ago, we talked about this on our show about a year and a half ago, uh, the Customs and Border Protection folks, which is their own agency within DHS, uh, in the past, when you showed up at the border and you had a visa from the U.K., all right, you're going to come to the U.K., and the U- from the U.K., you get admitted for 90 days automatically to the United States. And before you came, you passed a background check online, you filled out some forms online, they they didn't run your fingerprints. When you got here, they ran your fingerprints, made sure you weren't criminally, let you in for 90 days. When you came in at that point, you were given a little card that was stapled in your passport called an I-94 or an I-94W. And it said, you're admitted until this date. Well, CBP realized that their computers were capturing this information. And they could just as easily write that date on somebody's passport. You have admitted, which they were doing anyway. You were admitted on this date. Here is your date to leave. Um, so why did they have the paper? So they said, we don't need this paper. So they stopped doing it. And they realized they did this because it would save them $13 million a year. This is, this is government in action. This is Republican government in action. Save money. How am I going to save money? I'm not going to do these I-94 cards anymore. Well, we talked about this in the show. Of course, they didn't tell them USCIS they were doing this. And all of USCIS's databases are run by the number on that card that was stapled into your passport. Uh, and so they were like, well, you did what? You can't do this. So CDP then said, okay, we'll set up an electronic system so that individual, David, who comes in the country, you can actually go online with your foreign passport and number, put the data in about you, and up will pop your electronic I-94 card as well as your travel history. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting, David. How do they know my travel history? How do they know that? Well, they know when I came in, right? Because they scanned my passport. They slipped, they slipped it through the the reader. They all, they're all MRVs, machine readable passports, machine readable visas. Slip it through. They know when I came in, but when you leave the United States, there's there's no check. I don't I don't go through a passport control. You've traveled to other countries. You go through passport control, right? Uh, we were just in South Africa, and before you get to the gates, you have to go through passport control, and they. They just slide your thing. They say, thank you for visiting South Africa, and off you go into the terminal. We don't do that here. We've never done that here. Despite there being a mandate to have an exit control system since 1996, Congress has neither allocated the money nor, nor, nor allocated the direction of how that's supposed to be run. Um, so how do they know when I left? They take the manifest of the airplane when that flight is booked. So when that flight is supposed to take off, a manifest is done. I mean, we, who's on the plane, right? And that's supposed to get sent to CBP. But here's a problem, David. I can buy my ticket. I can go to the gate. I can check in, and I'm on the manifest. But I don't have to get on the airplane. And I'm still on the manifest. 
And so I have seen circumstances where somebody turned around and got sick. I booked the flight. I went there. I got a call. My mom was sick. You know, I ran to the hospital. I left. But the system still shows them as having left the United States. So there's also those that leave the U.S., particularly by land border. There's no really control leaving the country by land border. So we don't really know how many overstayed their visas. I doubt it was a half a million people. I really doubt it was that many. Um, but I wouldn't be doubt it was 300,000. I doubt it's a half a million. But I wouldn't doubt that it's 300,000 or so. Um, how do you stop that? I don't, honestly, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. If you had an exit control system, so when the people came in the airport and said, hey, we will check you when you leave, maybe mentally that would put doubt in people's minds who might have otherwise stayed or are going to leave, or maybe not. It also is a question is, are they tracking those who didn't leave with those who changed status? Because once you come here, you can change your status. And that was unclear to me from their presentation to Congress. Well, let's say I come as a visitor, but I change to a student after three months. Are you? That, but I didn't leave. Are you tracking me as I didn't leave under my B-2? Because if you are... I didn't have to leave. I'm, I'm legally in the United States. Or I came here and I got a green card because I married a U.S. citizen. Are you tracking that? And that's why that number is probably not believable because it's just too high. But it's believable that there's a good chunk of people, a couple, two, three hundred thousand people. Um, and I just find it fascinating that we're, we're so focused on this border. We've got to build a fence and build a border. And that's, that's probably not even where any more the majority of undocumented immigrants actually come from. At this point, going forward, 2014, 2015, 2016, a majority of the new undocumented immigrants actually come from documented non-immigrants. And, and that's how it happens. I just thought this was really interesting um, uh, on this issue. Uh, and um, uh, as, as you look at this study, as you, you understand its ramifications, you have to look. You know, we're no longer talking about the early Bush years where we had a million and a half people come in the country. Literally, they were literally just swarms coming across the border. That just doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah, the Border Patrol catched, I think they, last year they caught like 300,000 people. So the numbers just aren't there. But they're also a very different kind of immigrant that are coming. They're not necessarily coming for jobs. They're either coming for family reunification, that's a lot of the kids that are coming across the southern border, or they're fleeing violence in their home countries or personal violence against them by spouses and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just really curious to see if that will come up at all uh, in any of the debates. I mean, I know it's not going to come up in the Democratic debates. You know why? Because there aren't any more. No, maybe there's one more. Yeah, one more. Is there one more? There's probably a dozen more Republican debates. One Thursday. No, that was no, no, no. That's the Republican debate on Thursday. Last night was the town hall. I'm not sure there's another Democratic debate. They had, they had a I town there hall. Was one more. Maybe there's one more. Uh, but the Republicans have one on Thursday. But this, uh, this Sunday midnight Sunday. Midnight Sunday. Yeah. That, I mean, this Debbie Wasserman Schultz woman. Man, she's single-handedly. I mean, she's the kind of person which Democrats get the reputation of destroying a one-man parade. You know, she's that type of person. She can ruin a one-man parade. But I'm curious. This this is deep diving, right? These are deep dive stats. Could these even be discussed at a GOP debate? I mean, Donald Trump literally has no policy positions that have any detail whatsoever. I mean, literally, 
he's all about insults and about you know wild crazy ass ideas but nothing that really is grabbable nothing that's sustainable and when people try to 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 grab him on these debates with facts facts don't matter it's all about oh he's a bad guy and you're trying to hurt me and uh, you nobody likes you and everybody loves me and look at my poll numbers I've never you recall a debate ever in your life for president where one of the candidates during the debate mentioned their poll numbers do you recall that ever I don't recall that I've been watching debates since 1980 I've I've never seen that before. Why is it even relevant? And here's one thing, by the way, before we go on a, on a break here, that I'm going to get back into this in a minute on immigration. They say Donald Trump is a likely candidate. He's still only got like 32%. That means 68% of Republicans don't support him. How is he, how is he going to get the nomination? I mean, what we, I mean, the problem is we have too many guys running that are both qualified, I believe, and whose egos are so big that they can't step aside. I mean, kudos to Scott Walker. He could have, you know, he could have said in the race, which reminds me, there's probably bigger issues for Scott Walker dropped out. Because, uh, uh, you know, all these other clowns haven't dropped out. And I'm not talking about, like, I'm not talking about a Santorum or a Huckabee. Nobody cares about those guys. But, you know, the, the big five mainstream guys, really, if there was only one of them, I can guarantee you they would be neck and neck with Trump. They would be neck and neck with Trump. Let's take our second break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Um, you know, uh, we were just talking about, could we even see um, this come up with details like this in a debate? And you were right. I don't think, David, we we're ever going to see that, at least until the field winnows in a, in a GOP-only debate. Now, when there is a demo, when, when the presidential debates occur between the actual party candidates, I think you're going to see, if, if Trump is the candidate at that point, and Hillary or Bernie are the candidate, 
I mean, Trump is going to look stupid. I mean, unless he has a magic grasp of the facts that we don't, that he's not manifesting now, maybe he's playing hide the Trump to his Trumpeters. Um, but I don't think, I just don't, I don't think he has any grasp, nor do I believe he has any moral center on this stuff. You know, Cruz's new ad uh, about uh, Trump, well, he's, you know, he's, I'm, 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 I'm pro-choice, 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 pro-choice. Um, and, uh, you know, when did he become pro-life? I mean, Trump literally just says stuff for effect. Uh, there was a great little uh, uh, video that I saw, uh, a farcical video. Maybe it was on The Onion that I saw this. And uh, uh, it's, it's Donald Trump saying, I'm going to run for president, but I really, I really don't want to be president. So I'm, I'm going to get in the race and I'll get out real quickly. I'm going to say crazy stuff. So I'm going to go out there and say, Mexicans are all rapists. And then, and then, uh, I'll, then they'll, they'll boo me off and I'll leave. And I'll go, oh, I tried, you know. Um, and he goes to the event, Mexicans are all rapists. Everybody loves you. I love me. Crap. Well, what can I say now? I do now, and it goes through all the crazy butt things he said. He says, and then finally you see him say, "I could probably shoot somebody on Fifth on, on Fifth, Fifth Avenue in New York, and still, and my poll numbers would go up." So, I get, it's very, very true. Um, now, the whole idea of uh, um, uh, what's going on right now with immigration is Obama's policy before the Supreme Court. We spent last week's show talking about how the Supreme Court is going to look at this, and it's very interesting take on the take care clause and their desire to hear about the take care clause. But the more I thought about those issues, the four questions uh, that the court is going to listen to, and there are four separate questions the court is going to listen to. One is, does Texas have standing? Uh, Question number two, if they have standing, uh, was Obama required to use the APA? Uh, three, if they have standing and Obama was required to use the APA, do, is the APA even authorized in this context for what Obama wants to do, or is this beyond rulemaking into lawmaking? And then finally, the fourth question, which the Supreme Court put on there, which was, uh, is any of this relevant to the take care clause, and how is the take care clause of the Constitution affected? Um, I uh, I think it's really going to be kind of interesting. We talked last week about this. Um and there are the, the two sides of this, of course, are uh, that uh, the constitutional system itself is simple, right? Congress makes the law, president enforces the law, courts interpret the law. But that's not really how the system works, is it? No. Um, courts interpret the law, true, but courts also make law, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, Congress, uh, does Congress enforce the law at all? In certain circumstances, they do because they put penalties within the law. They don't go out and arrest people, but you know they can even hold people in contempt in Congress. Um, but they do make laws. But do they make all the laws? No. The problem with Congress is they leave a great deal of discretion to the executive branch to enforce the laws they have created. But they have allowed the president and the executive branch to use a regulatory scheme which are also considered quasi-laws to be created only by the executive branch. So this idea that the constitutional system is simple is simply not true. The constitutional system is not simple. In fact, it is wildly complicated. Uh, And we've allowed it to become wildly complicated because Congress, as the primary vehicle of representative government, is the primary failure here. I don't think the courts have failed. 
And I don't think the executive branch has failed. I think the executive branch has overreached, but only because Congress itself has failed. We have elected weak leaders who have failed to create laws that are specific enough to be enforced, that don't require regulatory interpretation. Now, some would say, well, it would take forever in Congress to, to, to really create the regs. So why would it do that? Why would it take forever? The executive branch could do it in 90 days, 60 days, 30 days when they need to. Why can't, they, why can't Congress? Why can't Congress look at all the regs out there, literally start with one CFR and work its way up to 83 CFR or whatever? The, I don't know what the biggest CFR is, but... Hey, is this is this reg good? No, we're going to pass law says this reg is no longer valid. Here's what the here's what the new law will be. Why isn't that the case? Why are there regulations at all, and why isn't it just controlled by Congress? Well, because it's not easy for Congress. They're not subject matter experts. Who are the subject matter? The Department of Justice is subject matter on on issues related to law enforcement, Homeland Security are subject matter experts on Homeland Security issues. Uh, energy are subject matter experts on energy issues. The EPA is is, sub, is experts on environmental protection issues. Congress isn't. But isn't that why they have hearings? Isn't that why they bring in experts? Isn't that why they never write the bills themselves, but they have, have lobbyists write them? So, David, I mean, this whole idea that the Constitution is simple and Obama is violating the Constitution, I think that's just not no longer accurate in a 2016 United States. That might have been accurate in under under Thomas Jefferson or President Adams or perhaps even under Lincoln. But remember what Lincoln did? Lincoln way outstepped Congress by creating the ultimate executive order in the Emancipation Proclamation. The ultimate executive order. That was a huge overreach. Massive overreach. Was it shut down by the courts? No. I mean, what Obama's doing is itty bitty 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 compared to the hero of the GOP right he's not giving anybody legal status he's not freeing slaves he's just saying hey I, I want to enforce the law in a way that I can enforce the law with the money you give me and this is how we're going to do it I just think it's fa- I, I, this, this issue I think could be the most fascinating issue related to an immigration case in a very long time in a very long time. Um, and I, 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 I'm going to see if I can be in D.C., find out when the oral arguments are. I'm going to try to get into these. I think as a member of the bar, the Supreme Court bar, I have like an ability to go in and watch an oral argument. So I'm going to see if I can take advantage of that. This could be uh, really, really interesting. Um, somebody, uh, uh, um, a lawyer named Barnaby Zale, what a great name for a lawyer, uh, who uh, um, supports the, the Texas folks, said, I believe this is the first time since Truman took over the steel mills in the 1950s that the take care clause has been a central part of the case, and certainly when the court asked about something they want to know about. Now, that's interesting. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true, because there's actually a lot of decisions out of the Supreme Court over the last five or ten years that reference the take care clause, so it's not nothing, it's nothing new. Um, but we also think this is what's very interesting about this, um, that uh, uh, referencing the uh, Solicitor General Rex Lixley, who was Reagan's Solicitor General, and probably one of the best we ever had, the court sits to protect the harbor, and that means they will look very hard at questions of the proper exercise of the executive power. 
I, I think this is going to be very, very interesting uh, about how this pans out. Honestly, David, I think the court may take the easiest route here and say the state of Texas does not even have standing to bring this lawsuit. That's the easy way out. You don't have standing to bring this lawsuit. Case is overturned. Send it back to the court. Have a nice day. Injunction is is limited. Um, now, one of the things I really like about this, though, uh, David, is how often they reference the things that Obama said. Even as early as 2010, Obama says this quote, I am the president. I am not king. I cannot do these things just by myself. And he said in an interview on Univision. And it was funny. You, I think, David, we can probably go back to archives and find me talking about that quote from 2010, in 2010, when I said he's wrong. He does have authority to issue regulations on a wide variety of issues. And so it's funny how the, the anti-immigration movement is turning Obama's own poorly chosen words against him. Now, here's some good news, David, uh, about President Obama. He'll be gone in less than one year. To, well, don't you have an applause button? <sighs> you must have an applause button there. Like, yay! Um, now, the only query is, David, who is going to be taking his place, and what are they going to be saying about immigration? Um, now, we know where the Dems are on this issue. What we don't know is where the GOP is going to be on this issue. We just don't know that. Uh, we know where some of the GOP are. We know that a big chunk of them would say that they would undo all of Obama's executive actions. But one GOP says he wouldn't undo them. Two of them say that. Rubio wouldn't undo them. And Kasich wouldn't undo them. And frankly, I don't think Bush would undo them, honestly. Not right away, anyway. Uh, so I think it's really fascinating uh, to look at uh, the way the shift has taken place from the electoral defeat by Obama of, of, of Romney in 2012, where everything uh, said, um, uh, every, all, the, all the experts said, oh, look, you know, the GOP has just got to get away from this anti-immigration stance because they're never going to win a national election. And now they are literally, at least the front runners, are taking the exact opposite approach to that. Although you never know what approach Ted Cruz actually has on, but he really got his hand caught in this, didn't he? Maybe he was uh, too smart by by two when he when he tried to take his tricky position in 20, 2014 on immigration. Um, and it's just interesting the, the the demagoguery and and racism that come out of this um, is the question is will it really be what Ann Coulter wants it to be? We just need to make white people angry enough to vote, and we'll win the election. That's Ann Coulter's position on this. You can go look it up. Uh, is that really going to win the election? Um, back in 2012, there was five states uh, that really can swing the, the, the vote through Hispanic voting. So Republicans claim that public opinion is moving their way, although, you know, Driven by what? Economic frustration and terrorism? So you're telling me the uh, the 11 million undocumented immigrants, uh, 6 million of whom are in the work pool, are destroying the U.S. economy? Doing jobs you will never do? I mean, really. But again, David, it's not about reality, is it? It's about perception. It's about perception. You know, you, you made a statement a while back uh, this morning that... Uh, 
you know, Trump is, has said nothing, has no real platform, has mm-hmm. no real handle on the issues or whatever it is. I'm not going to sit here and judge whether he does or not. I don't know. I agree with you that he has not presented any. Right. I, I think you're right. He has not presented any. But with that being said, I it's just like you know that I'm not exactly an Obama fan. Right. But I've become less of a congressional fan than Obama fan. I, I, you I know. agree. <laughs> well, that's uh, why congressional ratings are like 11%. And you take that one step further – I'm probably less of a population fan than I am of the government fan. And it's it's our fault. I agree. It's the population. I could come, you could come out, I couldn't because I'm too stupid, but you could come out with every damn statistic in the world and maybe you could force your office to listen to them. But you ain't going to get anybody else oh, to. I, I agree. And this it's a shame, but that's fact. Facts don't matter to many people. Reality don't matter to many people. Perception matters. We're going to come back and talk a bit more about this on the final part of our show. It's the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar con qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. I'm Marita News, and I would like to invite you to listen live or download my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You know, so David, this whole idea of demagoguery on the issue, uh, you look at um, Hispanics account for more than 5% of eligible voters in three of the national swing states, Colorado, Nevada, and Florida. Okay, So the idea is whatever losses the party sustains among Hispanics and Asian Americans will be more than offset by the energizing of the alienated white voters. Okay, Yet the white vote as a percentage of the population has been in decline. In 1984, it was 86% of the vote. In 2012, it was 72% of the vote. Romney won 59% of the white vote and still lost the election by four points. That means the Republican challenge will be to increase the overall percentage of the white vote countering demographic trends 
as well as their share of it. So they got to get people who wouldn't who wouldn't vote for Romney, who by all measures supposedly wasn't conservative enough to come out and vote for Trump. Really? Uh, I mean, I just don't. I mean, I don't see it happening. I mean, it's a wildly risky strategy uh, by the, by the GOP, and one that runs contrary to what their own leader says, Ryan's Priebus says they should do. And yet now. They're so concerned about, okay, Trump's bad, but Cruz is even badder, that they're all the establishment badder. He's badder. He's worser. Uh, as, as Trump said this morning on Morning Joe, nobody likes him. Everybody hates the guy. What do you say about a guy that nobody likes? Or at least people like me. I think he says. I'm sure they do. But look at my poll numbers. People love me. Um, and so it's really interesting. In Colorado, for example, 16% of the eligible voters are Latino. Okay, well, that's huge. In Virginia, in 1980, there weren't enough Hispanic or Asian voters to even measure, and this year they will have five percent Hispanic and seven percent Asian. Go forward to 2030 in Virginia, and they will make up 18 percent of the electorate, whereas blacks will account for 20 percent. Um, or look at look at California. From 52 to 88, the GOP carried the state in nine of ten presidential elections. They held the governorship in a majority of those years and were competitive in congressional contests. In 94, Pete Wilson won re-election by immigration benefits, crackdowns on benefits for immigrants, and Republicans have paid the price ever since. The party's presidential candidate has been defeated in, in the state in every election, and Republicans hold only 14 of California's 53 congressional seats. And none of the, none of the Senate seats. Uh, now, the one GOP candidate that spoke out about this uh, it was the only military guy in the race, Lindsey Graham. He's the only military guy in the race. Okay, the only guy you could possibly support in the race, but you didn't even but you didn't support him, so that's okay. Um, uh, he, he said Donald Trump has an eighty-one percent disapproval rating with Hispanics. The Democrats will destroy this guy. I think Lindsey is one hundred percent right on this issue. 100% right on this issue. Uh, and uh, it's it's fascinating to me to hear them talk about, you know, we got to be more anti-immigrant to get votes. I mean, how many, how many more white people do you need to piss off? And how does that impact other things in life? If you're, if, if and really immigration is only the number one issue or number five issue, up five top of issues for like 6% of the population. So it's really not even a major issue for most people. Um, but when you think about it, if you are so upset about immigrants, how does that impact your other views? You know, uh, one of our former co-hosts used to talk about this. Most people's problem is not with immigration. It's with welfare. Free and open immigration, I don't think anybody really cares about. What they care about is people use government benefits. Well, that's not really an immigration problem, is it? That is a congressional welfare problem. Uh, and that's what needs to be fixed. Yet, going back to our original premise, Congress is really to blame here. Congress. Now, here's the problem, David. We're set to uh, send Johnny Isaacson back to the Senate, perhaps with no Democratic opposition. We're set to send Tom Price back to Congress with no opposition at all, possibly. So what do we expect to change? What, what do we expect to have happen? 
uh, if we keep sending the same people back to Congress. I think he's the one that said uh, if you keep doing this and over and again for a different result, that's, that's, the, that's the definition of insanity. The American public is being deceived when they say, oh, if we just had – look, you control the House. But the problem is you don't control the House with sane people. We've elected people to Congress who are so far right they can't – and this I will give Trump credit for and when he goes after Cruz. The reason nobody likes Cruz – it's because Cruz won't negotiate anything. And you cannot have a society where you don't negotiate. David, if, that, if you ran your marriage like that, how would your marriage be? It would be pretty terrible, wouldn't it? You probably, well, certainly your wife would have left years ago. I want to ask Ted, look, if you won't negotiate with anybody for what you, what you believe, how do you stay married? Are you a dictator in your own house? I did love his comment about health insurance and him getting caught this week in a big lie. Did you hear about this, right? He says, oh, Obamacare took away my insurance and I can't get insurance. Completely a lie. Turns out he does have insurance. Oh, I didn't know my wife got the insurance. What husband in America does not have their wife give them once a year, here's your insurance card, honey, put it in your wallet. Come on, caught in a big lie. The guy is a liar. And... I, I think Trump's point is well taken. You can't elect somebody who won't negotiate. Now, will Bernie negotiate? Obviously, Bernie will negotiate. Will Hillary negotiate? Clearly, Hillary will negotiate. Um, will Trump negotiate? Clearly, he'll negotiate. He'll have to. He won't even have people support him from his own party uh, if he really is a Republican, which I don't think he really is. Uh, so I, I think going forward, looking at how this is shaping up on the immigration side. Uh, whichever Dem comes out of this, I think demographically the GOP cannot win unless somehow they really get their candidates set by April or May at the latest, but really April. They know who their candidate is. And that candidate starts veering away from the anti-immigration sentiment. And this happens all the time. <laughs> it happens in the Dem party as well. Uh, Bill Clinton was the master of this. Uh, Bill Clinton ran as the new Democrat, really in the general election. But remember, Bill Clinton got nominated mostly by white Southern Democrats who no longer exist. They've all gone the way of the dodo bird. And that's how he got nominated in the Democratic primary. Today, Bill Clinton's new Democrat would never get nominated in the G, which is why Hillary is struggling against against Bernie. Uh, now we'll give Obama. He had a great insight yesterday about Bernie. He said, "Look, Bernie had the benefit of going into this as a complete wild card, so he could just he could let he could say anything he came to his head, and all the ideas, all the everything he wanted to have happen, he could say, and really people buy into that. And Hillary had the, the both the benefit and the downside of being the front runner." And so you have to keep yourself more measured. You can't promise the sun, the moon, the sky, and the stars. And much like we were talking uh, earlier where you say voters, they don't care about the facts. Nobody cares about Bernie's facts, that you're going to have to raise a trillion dollars in taxes to pay for a quarter of the stuff he wants. Um, in a year, in a year, you need a trillion more dollars, not over like 10 years, in a year. Nobody cares about those facts. Why? Well, maybe because they don't think he has a chance of winning. Maybe they don't think it'll really happen. Maybe they could raise taxes for a trillion dollars. But at the end of the day, I see the whole demographic issue on 
the voting, how this is going to turn out in November, I think will turn to a great extent on minority voting participation. Will African Americans come out and vote? Will Latinos come out and vote? Will Asian Americans come out and vote? To contrast the flood of, of white voters that Ann, Cl- Ann Coulter thinks are going to vote for the GOP nominee. Now, one thing that did bother me greatly with Trump is he now has his one of his campaign leads, Jeff Sessions' chief of staff, who was the lead anti-immigration guy in the Senate. So that, that shows Donald Trump's true colors on immigration. He really does hate immigrants. And I'm going to say that plainly. He hates immigrants. It doesn't matter what kind, because Jeff Sessions hates all immigrants, not just undocumented immigrants. Let's be clear about that. So any vote for Trump by anybody who thinks immigration is a good thing is a vote against what they believe. It's really that simple. So at the end of the day, I think we're going to see uh, Trump, I think, will not be the nominee still. I think Hillary will be the nominee. And uh, unless the GOP gets its act together and gets a, really gets a Bush or a Kasich in there, maybe even a Christie, but certainly a Bush or a Kasich, uh, I think they're going to lose to Hillary and, and they're going to lose big. Uh, so, Dave, that's our show for this week. I think it's a pretty good show, don't you think? People listen to it. The, the most listened to immigration podcast in the known universe. Um, but grateful to our listeners. If you have any questions or you want us to cover a topic or maybe you would like to be a guest on the show, David would love that. Just reach out to me at uh, Chuck at immigration.net or David at David at America's Web Radio.com, and we would love to hear from you. Until next week, this is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.